following program is produced by the Align in the Sound team. If you like what you hear, please stick around at the end of the show. To find out more, contact us and contribute towards a positive future. Welcome to another combined meetup of the New Economy Network of Australia's Canberra Regional Hub, or Nina Can, and Co-ops, Commons and Communities Canberra, or Co-Canberra. So Nina is a network of individuals and organisations working to transform Australia's economic system so that achieving ecological health and social justice are the foundational principles and the primary objectives of the economic system. Uh, Nina was conceived in 2016 at a conference on building the new economy. And after many hours of planning and consultation, two national conferences and many regional meetings, Nina became incorporated as a cooperative in early 2019. There's three dimensions to Nina's work. We're building networks, connections, and shared initiatives. Um, we do that within specific geographic areas, such as towns, cities, regions, and states. And the Canberra Regional Hub that you're with now is one example of those. And we also organise across different sectors within the new economy, including sustainable food, renewable energy, transport, housing, Indigenous economics, ecological economics, and many more. Um, and we prioritise specific strategic goals every year. Um, so each of the hubs will be asked to contribute to a, a certain theme every year. Um, yeah, Co-Canberra was begun in 2016 as well, uh, when the convener of the, the local sea change, which is social, environmental and economic change, was called Liam Lilly, called for a follow-up meeting from a previous cooperatives networking day. And uh, we remain a sea change group at this point. Co-Canberra is building a new economy on the ground, using the concept of climate co-ops to provide for our needs in a way which is compatible with a thriving community and natural world. In the process, communities obtain ownership and control of the organisations which meet their needs. Um, we've begun this with the Pre-Power Renewable Energy Cooperative and the, uh, and the Soil City Cooperative Farms. Uh, both of those are in development at the moment. Uh, in tandem with Nina, we hold these monthly meetups. Um, it's not an organising meeting, but it's for education, networking, and letting people know what we're up to. Um, we're on the last Monday, as you know. So, welcome. Today, we have uh, two great guests. We've got uh, Sam Byrne and Richard O'Leary from the Co op Federation. Um, so, yeah, that's. Uh, Pretty high caliber guys here. They've, uh, they're the full bottle on co-ops. That's uh, good. It's it's great. I went to the co-ops federation uh, conference just before the lockdown in Sydney, and it was really great. I was very impressed with it. Um, and uh, yeah, I thought we'd better get these guys onto the meetup so that everybody can benefit from their knowledge. Um, so I might leave it up to you guys to introduce yourselves. Um, who would like to go first? You go, Richard. Oh. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, Scotty, and, uh, and obviously the, the other uh, Zoomers, and, of course, Sam. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm actually... Uh, it's really fantastic to uh, uh, not only... Uh, Having shared a meal with Scotty uh, at our uh, at our conference on the on the on the night uh, where we actually had uh, great entertainment and also a bit of fun, uh, but also uh, on a more serious note, uh, 
the co-ops are a really important part of the Australian uh, uh, cultural uh, networks. And, of course, uh, co-ops in particular, uh, we're, uh, we're very, very fortunate to have a federation uh, that clearly uh, is a peak body for co-ops in New South Wales and, to some extent, uh, co-ops along the eastern state uh, states as well. So uh, uh, we're, uh, and Sam will go uh, very much into uh, uh, what the federation is all about. But, but I'm, uh, I'm actually, a, a, as the, the bio uh, that Scotty uh, uh, covered with, uh, with me, as I've been 50 odd years uh, in cooperatives, uh, in different, uh, different cooperatives, uh, but mainly uh, my first job as an employee was with the Maclay Regional Cooperative Limited. And then, of course, uh, uh, that cooperative uh, uh, lasted 115 years. Many other cooperatives along the uh, the north coast of New South Wales, like Norco, uh, uh, the sugar cooperatives, uh, Hastings and, uh, and, uh, and Nambucca and so forth, all of those cooperatives have been around a long time. And clearly they're, they're delivering to the community and to their members the same as uh, what uh, they were intended to do right when they were formed way back in those early times. Uh, from a... Uh, a personal point of view, I'm, uh, I'm an accountant by profession. I've been uh, 40 odd years uh, as uh, have a, an accounting practice. Uh, and my, my family members now run that practice. I, I don't get too much involved with, uh, with the day-to-day -day activities of, of that practice. I'm also the, uh, the deputy chair of uh, the... Uh, uh, the, the regional, the regional Australia, and also, of course, uh, many other areas where I volunteer and have been involved. But uh, New South Wales Farmers, uh, Executive Council. Uh, my family, uh, we're fourth generation farmers. So we've held our farms uh, since about 1895. So uh, uh, we, we do beef, cattle, and, uh, and timber. And, uh, and you'll be pleased to know that uh, we're very much into uh, uh, the recognition of changing climate. And, uh, and we've obviously been working very hard this generation, my brothers and I, to uh, uh, to arrest uh, any any destruction that we've actually uh, uh, sort of caused to our land. Uh, but in saying that, uh, we uh, we certainly are uh, abreast with what's happening in the environment and our soils and uh, and all of the things that we actually uh, do on our farms. So uh, I'm I'm pretty much. Uh, uh, looking forward to to being part of uh, tonight, and uh, and I'm I'm looking forward to uh, to actually hearing more about uh, about your co-ops and and your organisation. Thanks, Scotty. Shall I go next, Scotty? Or is your mouth still full? <laughs> okay. So right, yep, just having a sip of my tea and forgetting to unmute. Uh, yes, Sam, please. We've all done it, even Scott Morrison, I think. Um, <laughs> good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for inviting us. Um, uh, Richard's the chair of our board, but I'm sort of like the executive officer or even, dare I say it, the CEO. Um, but the, we only have two employees, myself and Molly, who's uh, down in Tassie. Um, 
But I thought I'd just talk quickly about um, the Federation a little bit and then perhaps some co-op fundamentals. But some of you are pretty co-op experienced, I think, so I'm not sure if that'll be um, useful, maybe a refresher. Um, and then we can get into yeah, whatever you'd like to talk about. I'd like to talk about the, um, the Greens policy in the ACT that they took to the last election, which was... Um, you know, quite exciting from the co-op sector um, point of view. We can certainly talk about some examples of great, great co-ops, um, old and new, um, big and small. Um, the federation. So we were we were the cooperative federation of New South Wales for many years, and we're based in Sydney still. I, we have an office in in Sydney, and that's where I am in lockdown. I haven't been to the office for a couple of months. Um, and, uh, but we kept hearing from co-ops outside New South Wales that wanted to, needed support, needed help, wanted to connect. And so a couple of years ago, we dropped the New South Wales from our name just to remove a barrier um, and to, to people connecting with us. And so we have member co-ops in, as Richard was saying, in Queensland, in Victoria, Tasmania. So we've sort of expanded our, our, um, our reach. We've got about 125 cooperatives that are our members. So mem cooperatives join us as members, um, some, you know, turning over more than 100 million a year and some, you know, three that we just formed last week, new ones. So all shapes and sizes, all industries and some sectors. Um, yeah. So, I mean, some of the ones we've, the, all four, there were three that formed last week. One was a, um, a group of, Nepalese Australians wanting to set up a co-op for sort of business opportunities in, in their community in Sydney. Another one's about um, wool and about, um, you know, the, the wool processing industry and uh, a very one that Richard's connected with. And another one's about organic farming up, up near Byron Bay. So that sort of um, diversity of enterprise and cooperative enterprise that's, um, that, we, uh, that we support. Um, we, we're a not-for-profit cooperative, a non-distributing cooperative ourselves. So, um, you know, that's how we, that, that's the structure that we have, but we are a cooperative ourselves. So we live it and breathe it. Um, we provide a range of services to cooperatives from um, governance training specific to cooperatives, to strategic planning, to all the technical advice they need with the law and the um, the, the registries, Access Canberra, New South Wales Fair Trading, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Co-ops pay an annual fee based on their turnover. So small ones pay a small amount, $50, $60, and larger ones pay, pay more. Our larger co-op members probably don't get the value that for their membership, but they most of them, I'd say, really just want to support the sector and support cooperatives in general, and that's why... Um, you know, and they they help us to um, be a viable um, peak body. Um, yeah, I don't think there's much else. You can find out about us on the website um, and in social media and what we're up to. And you see all our members and um, all our all our sort of activities. But yeah, we we really provide a, we help people to form cults. We help people to close them. Um, and we do everything in between. So the sort of full life cycle service is how I sort of uh, describe it. Um, very much focused on that practical end of support 
um, for for cooperatives. Um, we certainly engage with government and engage and promote co-ops as well, but um, the niche that we really feel is just making it easy to do cooperative enterprise um, and, you know, uh, connecting cooperatives and using that um, that knowledge and experience that's around the sector. One, we'll go into the cooperative principles a little bit, but one of them is about cooperation and it is like that. So part of my job is to, if a co-op has an issue and I don't know how to solve it, I'll find a co-op that's already solved it and they will cooperate. And that's why we're a, a global movement and a, um, a very different way of, of doing business and, and uh, supporting communities. Is that an opening gambit? Shall I keep going? Scotty, what's the... Yeah, what, anyone yeah, have any questions right. or thoughts about that? Um, so, I don't know. Do you have anything prepared to have a yarn about or should we do questions or how would you like to go about it? Look, I, I've got a few slides just about what is a co-op, just a, a sort of refresher. I don't know if everyone's steeped in cooperative um, legislation or not, but um, I could run to those slides if that's useful and just take you through some of the, the fundamentals of co-ops. Yeah, that sounds useful. All right. I've seen a thumbs up. Thank you, Walter. So, yeah, just to keep me on track and give you a bit of, um, you know, words behind, uh, a bit of text behind my words, um, cooperatives in one sense are just an organisational structure, um, like an association, like a company, like a trust, like etc. Um, but absolutely a unique and special one. Um, few fundamental concepts in, in co-ops, they're strictly member owned and controlled, so one member, one vote. It's in the law, that's how, how it exists. Doesn't matter how um, you know how big you are, how important you think you are, in the end, it's a democratic um, structure, one member, one vote. Um, Co-ops have written into their DNA active membership, so um, it's about how you actively support the co-op in a regular way. Um, and, you know, there's, in you know, an agricultural co-op that might be supplying a certain amount of produce to the co-op every year. In a consumer co-op, that might be shopping, purchasing a certain amount from the co-op every year. In a workers' co-op, that might mean working a certain number of hours every week, every month. Um, it's something, an active support, not just generally, not just a fee, um, but actual sort of active support. Um, Members really control the organisation, decide what to do with, with surplus. Um, members can be any type of um, structure, person, customers, producers, residents, workers, or a combination. Um, there's about 1,700 in Australia, um, and numbers are really going back to growing now after probably declining over the last... 30 years up until a few years ago um, and it's very much part of a global um, movement started in the UK in the mid 1800s about the same time that companies really emerged properly and um, has spread across the world um, these are the international cooperative principles so um, globally agreed but locally legislated in every state and territory in Australia um, 
there's more explanation underneath them, but um, their uh, voluntary and open membership doesn't mean you have to let everybody in at every time, but it means that you you can't be discriminatory in the way that you um, accept members in. Democratic member control, member economic participation. These are principles um, by which all co-ops have to operate. Autonomy and independence, um, an important one. So cooperatives shouldn't be beholden to other organisations. Um, they should be making their own decisions and acting autonomously. Uh, a principle of cooperative operation is education training, not just of their own members and internally, but externally too, to educate the, um, the community about the benefits and about how they operate, and certainly about keeping their members um, up to date and in touch. The sixth principle is that one I referred to before about cooperation among cooperatives. Cooperatives are required legislatively to cooperate. And if you find one that doesn't cooperate, please tell me about them and I'll, I'll get on to them. Um, and the final one is concern for the community. And that talks about in the detail sustainable development as well. So um, it certainly might be one that's relevant for tonight. But that focus on the community as well as member benefit is a key aspect to the cooperatives and the principles. So no other structure has the principles or values framework. Um, cooperatives do, and that sets us apart. So um, uh, can a cooperative be a member of another cooperative? Absolutely. So we're the federation is a cooperative, and our members are cooperatives. Yes. So any any entity can be a member of a cooperative, depending on the cooperative's rules. But you can have there's cooperatives of companies, there's cooperatives of people, there's cooperatives of people and companies who are both members of the same cooperative at the same time. It's a it's actually a very flexible model. There's some particular things that aren't flexible, like democracy and active membership, but otherwise it's used in very, very wide um, range of um, enterprises in, in nearly every industry. Does that make sense, Kevin? Yep. Thank right. you. All right. I'll keep going. Hopefully this is not just reach out if it's too basic. Um Minimum five members in Australia for co-ops generally. Um, as I said, members can be any uh, type of unincorporated or incorporated entity. People can be restricted to just people, can be restricted to, say, people of Aboriginal descent or women or whatever. They can certainly be limited in that way as well. Um, just as in if you buy shares on the stock market, um, as a shareholder, your liability is limited. It's the same for members of cooperatives. So you might lose your share capital if the co-op has shares, but you won't lose your house. Um, co-ops very much have an, uh, a long-term outlook and are often used as a way to um, secure assets or secure a project in the long term. Um, that democracy is is very much a secure um, a secure structure than from takeover than than many other structures. Um, and because of that active membership, when people are no longer active, well, they're no longer a member. And so other people become members. The co-op exists down the generations, but, um, uh, you know, because of that active membership, it's for people who are currently active and, 
Um, for example, once you stop farming, well, you're, you're no longer producing, so you're no longer a member. Um, co-ops have a board of directors like associations and companies that are responsible for running them day to day. Um, there's a rule inside every cooperative about active membership, so it's clear to members what they need to do on a regular basis to maintain their membership, maintain their activity. Co-ops can be for-profit or not-for-profit, which is in co-op language is distributing or non-distributing. So there's many co-ops are non-distributing, many that are distributing. It's, a, um, again, a flexible structure that way. And co-ops can have share capital. Um, they don't have to if they're non-distributing, but they do have to if they're, if they're distributing. So, again, lots of op options and um, different ways that they've the cooperative structure has been used um, uh, across the economy and across the society. Just a couple of ideas about why you should go, um, why you should think cooperative, democratic and more secure, I've already mentioned, the values and principles framework to operate by, which no other structure has. Member-owned and controlled, focused on member benefit, not external investors' short-term profits. Um, it's very much what co-ops are about. They're a trusted brand. People, you know, love co-ops and particularly outside the cities, I think there's more, more trust in the brand than in the cities, in Australia anyway. Um, it's about active membership, about longevity, limited liability, um, and they can be highly efficient and cost-effective. Cost um, you're not having to carve off a you know a, a a percentage off to you know to outsiders you you can keep that and uh and use that for the benefit of members and the co-op and there's great support out there from people from organizations like us but also from all the cooperatives and the global movement around so that was just a quick what's a co-op um i don't in couple of other things I could I could talk about is just I mean in there's not many cops in the ACT um let's hope there'll be more soon um I've been was working on a project with a few people last year but it hasn't gone forward to to form one um the the food co-op has been around for a very long time it's one of the oldest food co-ops um in Australia and that's a great achievement um the, the a National Health Co-op, which is a larger new one that's formed in recent times, is a fantastic and certainly on the radar nationally as a, a great new model. And I assume you're aware of that one. And there's one in student housing as well, but there's really only a handful. So um, come on, ACT. It's uh, time to go cooperative and we're here to help if you if that's... Um, that's what you want to do. Um, and yeah, the, I, we not only noticed the ACT Greens policy on cooperatives called Cooperative Canberra um, just before the election. And um, I reached out to them and said, it's great. Um, you know, be happy to talk about implementing it after the election, but haven't had um, heard any word from them since. And I haven't heard about the initiatives being implemented. So if that's something we can... Um, work with you um, together to um, to get that going, that would be fantastic. It's um, There's some great initiatives in there and, um, uh, you know, we haven't had a lot of support for cooperative enterprise in the last few decades in Australia. So um, seeing that was really um, inspiring for us and uh, something we'd like to, to see 
um, put in place. I don't know if there's been developments in that since, but I haven't certainly haven't heard uh, about it being pushed forward in the MCT. Maybe I can tell you a little bit about what I know about it. Um, the um, the problem was that they didn't get it in the agreement as part of the agreement with the Labor Party, um, so it's not it's not being pushed from that point of view. But I think it's probably time for us, for us cooperatives, to uh, to get in there and start to um, uh, ask them to to start to do something uh, from their uh, from their from their platform. And I think they they're willing to do it, or they'd like to do it. But they they've got a lot of other things on their on their charter at the moment, so they just need a little bit of encouragement, I believe. Yeah, I was I was talking to them when the agreement was being negotiated, and I was saying, um, you know, well, I mean, I know that you've got to get it in in coalition agreement to to get, um, you know, to get it happening. And then they went silent. So I feared that that was the case, Kevin. But I haven't actually I hadn't seen the agreement, so um, I wasn't sure. But that's good to know. Well, perhaps it's not good to know. It's bad to know, but it's um, it's so perhaps, we can, uh, perhaps uh, you can give us some hints as to how we might. What we might do to encourage them to mm. to do things. Yeah, it's. I mean, it it would be interesting to know if it was discussed, you know, or if Labor opposed it. I mean, that'd be the first question. You know, if Labor actually didn't want it, you know, didn't see it as a priority enough. That would be interesting to know first. Um, like it. So it's whether whether we need to be working on Labor or 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 not. I guess. Okay. Look, I'll I'll try and find that. I think. So the first thing to do is to try and find out why they, um, what the objections were. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think so. If it was just a priority, they neither side saw it as a priority enough, or whether Labor was actually sort of, you know, not not willing to to go forward with it. That would be useful to know. But yeah, happy to work on it. That'd be great. I, I've, I could talk for hours about co-ops and give you examples of dozens of amazing cooperatives around the place. So um, I haven't prepared anything else, but, um, I, you know, that's um, uh, that's certainly where maybe I could contribute valuably. I mean, one that's on one that's just there has been a real boom in um, co-ops playing in the in the climate space and um the Golden Solar Farm just up the road from you is a real um, interesting project. Um, and they chose the cooperative model because, um, you know, some of the early people involved were looking at trying to take control of the company that they originally set up to, to run the solar farm. And so the other members looked around for... Um, you know, a safer model and came to the cooperative model and they've raised $2 million and attracted the $2 million state government funding for the solar farm. So I think that's a, you know, they've got 250 members who've put money into the co-op uh, to to build the, the, the farm. And that's, I think that's, a, you know, one of the great new co-ops not far away from you. But there's a range of those in, in the... Um, in the renewable energy space that are forming from small little community lobby groups that are forming as co-ops to larger projects like Goldwyn and, and, and others. So I don't know. That's just one example of one of our... We certainly guided Goldwyn Solar Farm through the process of forming a distributing co-op and uh, 
um, that was, yeah, it's a great one. We're very happy to have been involved with. So are there, are there any in um, any in the cities, the uh, um, renewable energy ones in the cities, or have they been mainly in the country? Yeah, mainly in the country. So the ones, the there's a couple that we've helped form in northern suburbs of Sydney, but then, and they're looking at doing, you know, virtual um, power plants or they're looking at doing rooftop solar things, um, small scale, um, but in based on their suburbs. So like taking their suburbs off the grid is sort of their, their experience. Um, there's one up um, in Nambucca Heads, up north of Sydney, um, that hasn't got going yet, but it was. It's called People Power Cooperative, and um, they have the idea to. Well, they're now thinking about batteries as well, but they have the idea of um, uh, people investing money in the co-op to fund rooftop solar for people who can't afford the upfront cost, and then the cooperative owns the. Um, uh, the rooftop solar until the person who owns the house or the roof um, has paid the the co-op back for out of the you know out of the save well it's paid the co-op back for the infrastructure and um, with an idea that they're quite a low socioeconomic area and they wanted to um, make it easier for people to access the savings and the environmental benefits of rooftop solar so quite an interesting project but still hasn't taken off the ground uh, got off the ground so um yeah but there yeah there's other yeah other people asking and talking i'm talking to a group down um Beagaway later this month later this week about um about a cooperative structure for their project so um yeah i guess land's a bit um more expensive in the cities kevin so, but certainly for that you know that rooftop solar type question and the suburb-based things. There's there's some interesting initiatives um, happening in Sydney at least. Can I ask a question? Could I ask a question? Please, Sam. You mentioned with the uh, Goulburn Solar Co-op, they raised two million dollars. They have two hundred and fifty members. A bit of arithmetic says that's eight thousand per member. Was it all member raised those funds, or do they come from elsewhere? So the um, they got a grant funding from the New South Wales government and it was about $2.1 million, but um, they had to raise, they had to match that, um, raise that money with to get the to get the $2 million from the state government, they had to raise $2 million. Um, so they raised it, um, they raised 90% in a few weeks and they didn't open it to people outside the Goulburn region until they, you know, until they got to about 90%. So they, it's a very energetic community group, um, community, community Energy for Goulburn, I think, was the, the association that started. And um, they did a lot of work to, you know, get the community going. They had, a, they had land. Um, I think it's one of the members had the land where, the, where it's going to be built. Um, and they did a fantastic grant application. It's the first community-owned um solar farm and with battery in australia and um yeah the it's done it's been the money's been raised through through the cooperative so the 250 members own and control the cooperative that has that holds their two million dollars um and the idea is you know the plan has always been that they'll get a competitive return on their money um through dividends from the co-op so um yeah it's a it's a great um 
it's a great story. They'd be worth talking to at some point because they're not far up the road, you know, and uh, they'd be worth you uh, connecting with if you haven't already. And were they looking for any particular rate of return or...? Oh, they talked about 6%. So that's what they're looking at giving their their members. Um, but, uh, yeah, I haven't, I'm not sure how that's going now, but, you know, given current rate, 6% be a fantastic result. For, yeah, but, um, yeah, they're, they're proceeding down the path. I've seen the sort of deed. They have a deed with the government. I've seen a lot of those documents and um, it's a... You know, it's a very um, well. They a, a few people have put in a lot of work to to make it happen, but um, yeah, it's an exciting um, exciting project. And yeah, as I said, they really chose the structure because they felt it was safer, and um, they liked the democracy of it. And it had all the sort of other, you know, with shares and dividends, it had all the sort of structure that they mm. they needed as well. Mm. And it wasn't a I think Sorry. No, you go. I'm um, going on a different thing. You you keep on going. Yeah. Look. So one thing that um, one thing that took my notice there. You were saying there's a the rate of returns. Now I know in some jurisdictions overseas there's a, a limit on the rate of returns that a cooperative can give back to its members. Is that the case in Australia? There's a limit in Australia on. Yep dividends so there's various ways that co-ops can distribute surplus funds and um, dividends is based on share capital and it's as a percentage just like a dividend you know on the stock market Um, but the yeah the current limit is about um, 10.3 percent so dividends in co-ops are called limited dividends and the logic behind that is that um is to encourage cups to be about activity um, rather than about capital. So um, that's the logic of the limit so that you can get a good dividend. And I mean, so the dividend is, uh, the cap is actually 10% above the Commonwealth Bank's five-year $100,000 term deposit rate. So it goes up and down with term deposit rates. That rate is 0.35% at the moment. So um, the cap is 10.35%. Um, so you can get a great dividend out of a co-op, but you can't get a 40% dividend. Um, And so rebates is the other way that um, co-ops distribute surplus, other key main way, and that is based on uh, the members, the value of the business the member does with the co-op is how it's described. (laughs) So um, if you're shopping big at the co-op, and then you'll get a big rebate if you're shopping small or if you're supplying a lot of beetroot to the beetroot beetroot co-op more than others, then you'll get a bigger rebate. So it's an encouragement for activity. And, um, yeah, so their rebates are not limited, but uh, dividends are. Richard, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I just wanted to uh, sort of go back a little bit in time uh, you were talking about the political side, particularly Kevin was uh, moving down towards, and we talked about Greens and so forth. What uh, what actually over the history of co-ops in Australia is that no particular uh, uh, political party sort of owned cooperatives. So, for instance, uh, if you if you look at the, the history of those early producer cooperatives. 
uh, they generally were started with the support of, of the country party of that time. But if you look at the fishing cooperatives and so forth, most of those cooperatives were started by, uh, by Labor. And, uh, and I, one of our cooperatives uh, uh, up on uh, the uh, Hawkesbury, uh, one of their proud signs is uh, they, uh, they were opened by uh, uh, Everett, who, uh, who actually uh, uh, was obviously a Labor minister at the time. And they had a lot to do with uh, creating those uh, fishing co-ops. Uh, but certainly uh, uh, New South Wales is uh, Bob Davis, who was obviously a Labor minister as well. He was the only one that I can see that ever was uh, officially a minister for cooperatives. So it's interesting that uh, every, every the side of politics, whether it be Greens, uh, uh, the Coalition or, or Labor, uh, generally, there was actually uh, uh, support in some shape or form. Uh, but it's the changing time for us in recent times was the 2012 uh, International Year of Cooperatives. It was also the National, National Year of Farmers as well. But that was a really big change for us. And, of course, subsequent to that uh, was the uh, when Barnaby Joyce was able to uh, hand out money uh, to... Uh, uh, to set up the Farming Together program, which was conducted by uh, the Cross University. <coughs> and of course, we were, as a, as a federation, uh, we were obviously very supportive of that. And we did a lot of consultancy into that market. Uh, so particularly for farming uh, farming enterprises, creating and helping that uh, either co-ops uh, develop further, or for that matter, creating new co-ops. And that's that has probably been the big change for uh, for us in recent times as well. So, and and now of course you you're seeing that uh, uh, through the Southern Cross and others, uh, we're seeing uh, uh, carbon farming cooperatives uh, being talked about as well. And of course, uh, uh, New South Wales Farmers, for instance, has uh, uh, has been very strong in uh, in moving the uh, the 2050 uh, uh, sort of announcements relating to uh, uh, to uh, to neutrality to some extent relating to climate change and the effects to that extent that uh, uh, I attended a, a Zoom meeting last week uh, with uh, with uh, Matt Keane, Minister for Environment and so forth, and it was a, a much the same as this. And it was talking about actually uh, where farmers sit and, and how, uh, how actually generally that farmers are actually uh, are trying to actually step ahead of the government and create uh, their own environment and have recognition for what they're doing relating to climate change in particular. So it's a it's a moving target, uh, but there have been a lot of players that are really pushing their way now into, into issues around solar, uh, uh, energy creation, communications, uh, and also uh, 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 carbon and soils and so forth. So it's, it's co-ops are in that space as well. And I think that Generally speaking, for instance, uh, with the Southern Cross University in Paris, uh, groups of farmers uh, more than likely will form small community cooperatives uh, where they are actually uh, a part of uh, the new regime for, uh, for recognition and doing something about climate change and particularly uh, to, to bring their farms uh, through that network of uh, of uh, uh, for members and also for the community at large. So 
it's an it's an interesting space at the moment. I mean, maybe just going on from Richard's point, it absolutely is the support is across the political spectrum and uh, um, the diversity of cooperative enterprise. I mean, there there are 55 cooperative ski lodges down at Perisher in the Perisher area that are all, all cooperatively structured, have been there for, for decades. We have childcare cooperatives, we have housing cooperatives, we have fishing cooperatives, we have, and then there has really been a surge in new cooperative enterprise, and particularly this year, in fact, um, we've helped set up uh, new cooperatives for tugboat crew. Um, we've set up Cycle Courier a Cooperative in Sydney. Um, that's part of a global movement of cooperative cycle couriers. So they the, the movement in Europe provides cooperatives with the web platform similar to Uber Eats and Deliveroo. And if they're a cooperative, they can use the, the platform for free and um, as a real sort of challenge to um, those sort of those global um, delivery companies. Um, we've worked, we've just set up a, helped to set up a video game development cooperative, five um, video game developers working together as a team to develop new video games. Um, they're quite a um, that that comes from a sort of labour perspective because they're um, notoriously exploited and overworked, um, and they, it's about them reclaiming um, you know their power in that sort of workplace. So um, yeah, we have long-standing cooperative in Brisbane that came out of the the Queensland Union movement. Um, and was had service stations and shops that were all you know was formed by union leaders, but yeah, we have oh, just across the spectrum and across the the economy, all different um, uh, types of enterprise. Um, in Tassie, we have a, a tip shop that's a cooperative. It's a fantastic workers' co-op where they use the um, the goods that people no longer want and they turn them into. Um, they turned it into things that people want, but it, it's uh, it's got about seventeen employees that work there, um, and you know reuse and reuse. There's just there isn't that we're still discovering cooperatives where you know where we didn't uh, know where they were. Often they're um, quiet. They're very um, they provide a great service to their members, and there isn't any need to be public or or um, out there. I mean other. Another example is um, sugar farming. So up in the north coast, up further north and where Richard is on the north coast of New South Wales, um, sugar farmers for decades have um, got cooperatives for the harvesting equipment. So, you know, once a year they need to harvest the sugar cane. The machines cost a million dollars. Um, 50 or 60 farmers together can purchase a couple of machines um, through the cooperative. The cooperative employs the guys who cut the cane. They schedule the, their plantings and the cutting so that the machines are shared around the district. Um, there's, so, there's no website. There's no, um, there's no you know, sort of um, publicity or anything needed. It's, it's low cost. And they pay the the lowest amount for harvesting of any sugar cane farmers in Australia. It's a highly efficient model, um, 
that's just you know is a no-brainer. Um, why would you why would you put a million dollars into a machine for a once a year harvest when you can do it together with your neighbours, um, you know, uh, at a fraction of that cost? So um, yeah, as I said, don't get me started on co-op stories, but there, it's a it's a powerful powerful model, an absolutely relevant model, and. You know, we we struggle from uh, accountants and lawyers just not trained about cooperatives, so they'll often encourage people away. I mean, so many times I've heard the story, people, groups will come to say, oh, we, we thought we'd set up a co-op, but then we talk to our accountant and the accountant says, oh, why don't you do a company? Um, because they're not trained, and this is partly why we exist as well as to turn those things around um, but it's not hard to be um, to operate as a co-op it's absolutely logical and you know it makes sense in so many um, settings and it delivers so much for their for the community and then the money stays local and the economy is strengthened from that um, so it's you know uh yeah, part of my work every day is to break down those barriers, make it easier for co-ops to operate. Um, you know, it's, it, it's hard even it's hard to establish that you're a not-for-profit co-op. You know, you can get a not-for-profit rates for things from Microsoft, from whoever, from zero. And uh, but it's actually hard. You know, people those sort of companies will say, "Oh, how do we know you're a not-for-profit?" It's those sort of simple things that we, we work on, and we work to help. Um, you know, cooperatives uh, thrive. And, yeah, our assembly and our networking, our conference is part of that, which Scotty attended, but um, it's a it's a day-to-day -day thing and, uh, you know, it's an amazing... I mean, the, the people that I deal with in co-ops are fantastic people. Um, they're people who've come together for, a, to, for, you know, to work together on things. There's this concept that, oh, co-ops, you know, they always get... They have division and people will fight and that democracy, it's too expensive and takes too long. It's rubbish. The people who go into co-ops go in with a with a positive, um, with you know, with a, wanting to support something and wanting to work together. And I'd argue that, you know, um, when, when co-ops fold, it's often, oh, it's, you know, it folded because it was a co-op. But when companies fold, it's folded because of the business model or the, well, that, you know, that's just, that's, again, that's just part of the sort of dominant rhetoric, which uh, we're trying to, um, you know, to uh, turn around. <laughs> Sorry, I got started there. I'll get, <laughs> I'll get off the, um, I'll get off the, the, the soapbox. Well, that's what, what we've got to hear. <laughs> I've got a question for you, Sam. Uh, I'm, we're part of a, um, a fledgling um, farming co-op. Now, you mentioned at the beginning you provide, you provide advice to people to get started who, and I guess <laughs> what I was trying to find out is how does that actually work? Um, do you do, because we're not a co-op yet. Well, we haven't, we're not. We're not a legal entity yet. It's a co-op. Yeah. Um, how would we go about uh, getting advice from uh, the federation? Uh, and what what's what are your charges? I guess you it's a um, a fee for service sort of arrangement, or what are the arrangements? How would how does it actually work? Yeah. 
So we're funded about a third um, membership fees from our co-ops and about two-thirds from consulting-type fees. So we do charge for those sort of projects. Um, uh, we, um, because we've taken dozens and dozens of groups through that process, there is, I mean, I, I, I mean, obviously I'm biased, but I think there is value in getting that sort of advice and experience as to how to structure your co-op um, well from the beginning, um, taking a little bit of extra time to, to get that right. Um, we would, we'll take, um, you know, yeah, so as I've done lots this year and from all types, from agriculture to, you know, an art store to all those other examples I've, I've mentioned, um, we... Uh, I, I mean, just talking dollars, we would, for a commercial project, so like a, um, a large sort of well-backed well project, we would charge about $5,000 to take people through that process. Um, but we, uh, you know, uh, my or our co-op members, I think Richard would, would back me on this, we, you know, we're there to... Uh, help people to form cooperatives and to support cooperative enterprise. So if that, you know, if that sort of um, amounts scares you or is just not possible for some projects, um, you know, we're a rampant discounter, if that makes sense. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that commercially, um, you know, to keep us afloat. But I've, I, we try and balance to keep us afloat, but also to make sure that people don't, you know, that people choose the cooperative um uh, option and um, you know get the benefits from that. So um, the other thing I'd say just about um, you know forming is you don't um, don't don't form a structure until you need one. Um, you know there's there's no um, uh, you know there's lots of great things you can do informally. Um, you know supporting each other working together. When you when you um, need the structure, then um, then then get a structure as well. I'd say because there's you know there's admin and there's you know there's uh, costs in having any sort of structure. So I'm not sure what you know what type of enterprise it is, Keith. But um, you know when there's a need to, to to structure it, or you and not that might be to apply for a grant to then you know make it a substantial thing, or to process, or to market the goods, or equipment you know whatever then then yeah then then that's the time of a structure but um yeah lots of lots of good collaboration and cooperative um activity happens in the economy without a structure so along those lines do you do you have such a thing as a sub cooperative in other words uh, a, a a group that could be part of another cooperative to learn how to do things hmm. I'm not sure what, exactly what you mean, Kevin. Do you mean um, like to observe what how other co cooperatives operate? Or? Well, they could be part of the original one, and then when they when they feel that they're ready to go, they can mm. they can hide themselves off. Mm. So, yeah, I mean that is uh, it's interesting. I mean there isn't there needs because co-ops are member owned and controlled. There's no point having two co-ops with basically the same members, like, you know, with the same uh, objectives. There are, um, 
Earthworker Cooperative, I don't know if that's on your radar, but they're down in Victoria. Um, they've really, and they've come out of, out of the labour and environmental movements, but their mission is to establish worker cooperatives and they have effectively given birth to a few and they're trying to spawn other ones and create a sort of family of um, worker cooperatives. So though they have um, Red Gum Cleaning Cooperative and they have a solar, solar, power, solar hot water cooperative, um, that they've spawned, but Earthworker is sort of like a bit of a mothership. And if eventually, if those cooperatives are profitable, um, they're, they're supposed to pay a, a part of their, um, thank you, Lizzie, part of their, um, their profits back to Earthworker. Um, so it is with the idea, and that's really mod modelled on Mondragon, which is an enormous cooperative um, family in the in the Basque region of Spain, globally famous. And um, they're inspired by that. And that's, you know, the movement that they've started. So, yes, but we've also had, um, we've got a few cooperatives around the place that have had two cooperatives. And, um, yeah, you know, there isn't, when you've got two cooperatives and the same members, you, there's not really a point to having two because really they one cooperative could do everything they need to. Um, but there are, and we're certainly, you know, here that we're a cooperative and we're here to help, um, help you know, help new cooperatives sprout. But, um, yeah, there's you've got to decide whether it should just be a division or a, a project of the one cooperative um, or whether it needs to be a separate cooperative but if it's got separate members then it's going to have a separate agenda and a separate um a separate goals and a separate focus and yeah that it's a depends on the depends yeah. on the projects richard oh, no. yeah. but you can have in the same industry for instance a common common equity which is and it, it actually supports uh, uh, smaller housing cooperatives uh, as well but they are Generally, they're separated by by their location, and also, of course, uh, uh, their management styles. But but they they're working. Common equity works for the housing uh, housing cooperative movement, and, and actually charges them for uh, for the support that they give those smaller cooperative housing cooperatives. So there are many ways of going about it, but but Sam's right. That, you know, if for instance those those uh, uh, sugar cooperatives or, or harvesting and machinery cooperatives and that generally they've got uh, uh, different members uh, but they might actually have uh, the sugar cooperative the main body may actually have some membership in each one of those but generally are not a controlling membership have you had any um, body corporates become cooperatives I'm aware of one not far from my house, but um, I, it's, a, it's a number of body corporates that have formed a cooperative because it's a large complex. But I, I have never, they're, they're very sort of private. I've never been able to connect with them. But it's not, it's not, it's just a group of body corporates, if that makes sense. Um, there's a whole absolute, you know, large housing cooperative, land sharing cooperative, intentional community sector. Um, what Richard's talking about was the the ones on government land, which are run through 
in New South Wales and Victoria, they're called, you know, common equity um, bodies, which sort of sit in between the government and the cooperatives. Um, but there's a, you know, a huge number of uh, land sharing cooperatives around the place and where you have, you know, lots of members who are those and um, uh, some fascinating um, structures and fa fascinating sort of histories as to how they've um, they formed. Um, one, you know, one the one I always think of is called Bundadjan. It's south of Coffs Harbour, but it they own like they've got their own private beach. They bought these two um, banana plantations in the eighties, and um, it's a spectacular um, place. Very hard to find, very quiet and off the radar, and very hard to join now as a member. But um, absolute, uh, you know, beautiful piece of paradise and. Uh, um, yeah, very harmonious. There, it's a it's a sort of process of about a year to become a member, and um, uh, you know they they vet the members very carefully before they come in to make sure they're going to fit in. Um, and uh, you know I've said to them, don't you get offers to sell the land because developers would um, love the land now. But um, yeah, they're they're just not worried. They just say, oh no, the members have never. Um, never vote for anything like that so um yeah so there's some really you know yeah fascinating little co-ops around the place can i ask a couple of questions one's very very blue sky sort of question and one rather practical for my benefit blue sky question could the cooperative movement replace the union movement and the practical question uh okay we want to come to you for help um helping Scotty and Keith set up this farm co-op. So I walk into your office one day and say, help. Now, what would you want me to bring with me to show you? <laughs> do, you <laughs> do, you wanna, do you want me to go, Richard? Yeah, please do, please do. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I mean, obviously, the union movement, you know, there's they've got... Um, well, they have royal commissions put into them sometimes, but they also have, uh, you know, a separate um, uh, legal framework in Australia. Um, could I don't see co-ops as becoming unions, but I would certainly love to see, um, you know, a much greater democratisation of the workplace. And, um, uh, you know, there's a there's a lot of um, lot of businesses that run with. Um, uh, employee ownership um, frameworks that aren't, you know, there aren't strictly co-ops, but um, are certainly working along those lines from Atlassian, which, you know, enormous um, IT company now that has a huge employee share program. Um, and a lot of the employees are sort of millionaires overnight because of that sort of encouragement for the employees to have shares up to brewers that, you know, what's the... Um, Gosh, what's the beer that's up in Byron that... Hopsters. Oh, Hopsters is a co-op in Sydney, and I declare an interest I'm a member of that one. Um, that's a cooperative brewery in Sydney. But, yeah, no, the... Um, oh, what's it called? Anyway, it's a it's fully owned by the employees. It's a company, but it's, you know, the 100% of the shares are owned by the founders and employees. Um, so there's, you know, there is a whole spectrum of that. But, um, yeah, I, I mean... Yeah, I, I still I can't see a uh, 
you know, I can't see a time yet when there won't be a, um, a need for a, a, the union movement, in in my view. Um, but, uh, yeah, isn't, I mean, why work, why work for someone else when you can work for yourself? Um, you know, and why uh, there's some, there's some fantastic um, uh, workers' cooperatives and we're, Australia is very weak in workers' cooperatives compared to the UK and the UK has that sort of, uh, there was, you know, it's a cooperative party and they have MPs and they're in, they've been in sort of coalition with the Labor Party for 100 years or there. They have that history. We don't have that here, as Richard said, but we also don't have a strong workers' cooperative movement. And our other employee, Molly, comes from the workers, from a workers' cooperative, and she's absolutely pushing us into, you know, to drive, uh, to be more focused on worker cooperatives into the, into the future. Um, the second question was if you just if you wanted to you know develop the cooperative the new cooperative and um, came into the office um, what what we'd want you to have I think um, it's I think we'd it'd be good to see a you know a group of people not just one like a few people a core group um, and I'd want to see a plan you know what what um what problem is the co-op going to solve or what opportunity is the co-op going to take um you know take advantage of um and that you know to see the sort of thinking around that um and then we would sort of um help you to fit that you know for that to fit the the, the cooperative structure um it's interesting i've just started a project with hemp growers up northern north coast of new south wales um last week we started and um they'd had a series of meetings with 40 hemp growers and quite large meetings but they really didn't have much knowledge of the sort of cooperative um structure and some yeah, some of the things that they sort of have half locked in as how they want to proceed doesn't really work for, uh, you know, a cooperative things about shares and and sort of democracy. They were sort of wanting to have members that couldn't vote. Doesn't really work in a co-op. They were wanting to sort of, um, yeah, sort of have two tiers of of shares. You you can do that, but I'm not sure it's the right. Yeah, so th- that sort of, we would sort of help to, um, make it fit the the parameters of cooperative enterprise, but you'd like to see something like timelines and milestones and yeah, uh, yeah. But really, those two things like to see that it's a bit of it's not just one person because I, I mean it can work, but it's uh, it's better to have a little group, a working group, who's and you know you need five to start, but also just to see what um, uh, see what. Uh, problem it's going to solve. I had someone rang me today and, um, you know, he just, he just wants to set up a co-op, but he doesn't really have, um, you know, he doesn't really have a problem to solve. He's an engineer and he hasn't sort of, I'm saying, well, you know, why would, yeah, it's just, there isn't, he, he's just passionate about co-ops and he wants to set one up, but I'm like, well, it's not, what's it actually going to, what's it actually going to do? Or, you know, why would anyone join it? Um, so it'd be that sort of, um just some thinking around the business idea and the, or the you know the social idea as to what it um, uh, yeah what it's going to do. Sam talked about uh, Sam talked about actually uh, uh, workers' co-ops. Well, I was just thinking uh, uh, 
the barristers' chambers uh, in Macquarie Street in Sabforth, uh, there are a number of cooperatives uh, there, and they really are workers' cooperatives uh, <laughs> because they uh, are they are providing a service uh, as a uh, as individuals, uh, but uh, but they're all of their uh, back end uh, office work and all of their uh, their advisory work and research and so forth is done by the cooperative and taking on the ownership and so forth. So you know, we did cooperatives over many, many years. And, uh, and of course, the other comment that Sam made, and it's, it's true, uh, being an accountant, I, I can certainly talk about this, but very few accountants and very few lawyers really take the time to understand cooperatives. But here you've got barristers that are actually embracing cooperative values and and, uh, and the democracy to uh, to actually create it. So someone is not telling the other group uh, how good they are. Okay, so we may have to do something about that, Sam. <laughs> yeah, look, I wanted to respond to the unions question as well on behalf of Co-Canberra. Um, I reckon unions and co-ops are really good natural allies because uh, what the union movement is at its core is defending workers against the capitalist system, essentially, and fighting back a bit. So as, uh, what was the guy? Oh, I don't know. Some smart fellow said, you know, it's best not to fight the, the system but to create something new which is better than the system and make it obsolete. And that's a great way for the union movement to look at it. But I just wonder if if the vast bulk of the union movement even knows what a co-op is. Um, mm. So like you were saying, Richard, education is going to be a yeah. key thing there. And I know in Canberra, the ACTU, the peak unions body, is definitely fully behind co-ops. Um, I approached them with one of my early co-op ideas and they said, yep, no worries, we can even do the back office work for you. So they were very supportive. Um, it just wasn't a good enough idea to go ahead with, unfortunately. But um, And also there's, there's people who started the Canberra Seed Savers co-op uh, are involved in the union movement too, so... Yeah, and of course, earthworkers are a classic example. Scotty, uh, in in the UK, of course, uh, uh, there is a cooperative party, and uh, mm. and of course, that cooperative party generally aligns itself to the Labor Party, but it is independent. Uh, but certainly, uh, uh, if Labor has uh, has problems, it generally does flow to the cooperative party as well. So. Uh, uh, that that's one of the disadvantages of actually sort of trying to uh, to be a coalition or or even uh, uh, you know, being the same as. So generally, co-ops are actually formed uh, when there's a crisis uh, or when there's a need to actually solve a problem, or in fact, uh, uh, a group of people actually want to do something different and they want to have control over the destiny of the organisation that they create. And, and, and really, that uh, if you look at the history of producer cooperatives in Australia, uh, in those early times in the 1870s and so forth, you take Norco, 1895, generally uh, those cooperatives were formed because there was a need. Uh, they were trying to replace the middleman. Uh, they were trying to obviously, first of all, get the maximum value out of, out of their produce. And secondly, they were also trying to actually lower the cost of producing it. So, uh, and that was the success of creating 
uh, and the need to create uh, cooperatives. And some of those cooperatives, like uh, uh, Norco, 125 years or more. So uh, uh, they do actually achieve what they set out to achieve. And continuing, as Sam said, continuing generations, actually, are members of the co-op that their uh, their family actually uh, helped to create way back. Look, I, yeah, just quickly in response, Scotty. I mean, I look, I think it's a strength for the cooperative sector in Australia that we're not sort of seen as being tied to one political persuasion. Um, I think there are people around the union movement and in in the Labor Party who understand the um, the synergies between co-ops and, and and unions and for workers um, and but yeah maybe and we've had some great support in the New South Wales labor labor opposition um, maybe a couple of other well one other example that comes to mind is a cooperative called labor Co which is was set up out of the closure of steel in in the hunter region. And it's like it's it's union labour hire. So normally labour hire is an anathema in the union movement, but it's a labour hire cooperative where um, it was about trying to get people who were unemployed back into work. It it will it um, supplies casual labour to a number of councils, but Sydney trains and other organisations. And, but then it celebrates when the person, when the business wants to take the person on permanently. It's there's no barriers to you know permanent employment, and it's just it's great. Well, mission accomplished. Um, so it, it's um, you know there's some really there are some interesting examples around the place in Australia of the support with unions and co-ops. But yeah, we could certainly grow the understanding. Um, the unions have been interested in. A co-op called Smart Co-op in the which is across 12 countries mm -hmm. in Europe, a massive cooperative of freelance workers, and um, uh, the union movement. In some unions have been really interested in that sort of model um, of a way for them to organise freelance workers in the changed you know economy um, in Australia, and so that's been an interesting dialogue. But in some ways, they haven't. Um, they just haven't got the um, the enterprise or the to to take it off the ground, um, so it hasn't happened yet. But um, certainly the the in the media and um, graphic design and metal workers and other unions have been interested in that in that sort of example um, from Europe, where smart co-op it's. Um, it does all the sort of back office and support services for freelance workers in performers, graphic designers, artists, etc. So it's, they're they're employees of the co-op, but they um, find their own work, and they the co-op just does all their accounting, their invoicing, their training, their workplace health and safety, their insurance, their super covers all that for them, so they can just get off and do the stuff that they like doing that they're good at. So it's got tens of thousands of members. It's an enormous um, new structure. It's not based in the union movement over there, um, but, you know, I think uh, the union movement in Australia, you know, could, could, and that could be that concept of, as Walter was asking about unions and co-ops coming together, but it could certainly be a new organising model for unions in Australia too. Yeah, I heard a story where they actually took on a whole heap of bicycle couriers who were 
under a whole lot of uh, the exploiting sort of uh, big companies. And uh, just as they were getting a contract ready with the union to join forces, the government changed something and that was made unavailable to the two parties to form an agreement. They were they were running scared. Yeah, no, they've definitely, Smart Co-op is definitely, um, you know, comes from that uh, ethos of supporting employees and they were, yes, I know about that sort of um, initiative. As some of the people involved in that um, global uh, cycle courier cooperative are actually employed employees of Smart, like they're working um, temporarily for the, the cycle couriers, but they're actually um, members of SMART, so they're quite connected, those two movements. Um, yeah. Lizzie, you wanted to say something. Yeah, thanks, um, Scotty. Thanks, um, Sam and Richard, for your views. Um, I'm interested in your views on organisational design in cooperatives. Um, so I'm working with Keith on the and um, Walter etc on the farming one but also on another one with Kevin and Scotty and um, look, obviously it's democratic but uh, you can look at sociocracy, holacracy you know those sort of uh, newer models for org design but in your experience and having looked at that big span of cooperatives I mean which which ones scale which ones form the cooperative quickly without getting in the way of having, you know, too much bureaucracy or too much to get your head around? Um, and which sort of organisational designs really help sustain the cooperative in the long term in terms of the, the people systems, I guess? Okay, I'll have a, I'll have a go, Richard. Chime in if you, if you want to. Um, so... I think um, I think it benefits a cooperative to have a sort of um, philosophical approach or structure like that. So there are a number of sociocracy-based cooperatives um, that I've dealt with. I've just helped to set up a new one called Pro-Social Australia, which is the pro-social movement, um, and... Uh, they're sort of connected to sociocracy as well. Uh, we have an eco-village that's a member of ours called Narara Eco-Village up in the central coast, and they're based on sociocratic principles. And I think that gives them, you know, uh, people um, when they're joining the co-op, they're joining that sort of framework and they know. So I think that can, um, can only be a benefit. The cooperative law is very flexible so um while there's some while there's some things that are a bit strict you can a, a lot of the co-op law says you know um you can do this if it's in your rule the constitution so there's um great flexibility i've set up co-ops that are run on consensus decision making or consensus decision-making minus one or all sorts of forms of decision-making. And you can certainly do that in a co-op. You don't have to have, Richard's the chair of our co-op, but co-ops don't have to have a chair. You know, you can have a rotating facilitator and all sorts of whatever structures you want. But I think generally, if you've got a, a structure that the founding members are um, are supportive of and understand, then I think that's only going to be a strength. I wouldn't want to say that 
one's best or better than the others, um, uh, you know, but um, I've personally had a lot of experience with, you know, higher than 50% plus one and I'm, I'm a fan. I mean, I sat on the board of a super fund for 10 years, a large one, and we we had eight directors and we had to get six in favour of any proposal. And I that was, I found that actually very good. Um, you know, I've also sat on a count, local council where it was brutally 50% plus one and enforced, you know, horrendously for the community, I thought. But there's, you know, that six out of eight, well, if, if you were voting against something, you knew you were in a quite a minority. So um, I don't know. I found that um, I, 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 I'm personally um, got a lot of interest in some of those other models. But yeah, if, I, if you just set up a co-op in a standard format in Australia, it'll be 50% plus one. But anything you want around in that space is possible. Does that, is that, along the lines of what you wanted, Lizzie? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's not, it's, I guess it has to fit um, fit the context of the cooperative, doesn't it, and the people, yes. just the founders, I guess, and their values. Yeah. Um, I just, I guess it's just, um, it's, it's a very people-driven framework, isn't it, cooperatives, as opposed to... Um, even a social enterprise, which can be quite hierarchical mm. um, in its structure. So I was just interested in your views comparatively um, and if there are any, you know, pitfalls in any of the particular organisational design models when you first get started, if you're going to adopt one or the other. I mean, yeah, I often say to people and remind them that um, the members are the ultimate authority in a co-op and, um, you know, the board has, I mean, it depends how much power you give the board in your constitution, but the board has day-to-day -day responsibilities. But um, in the end, the members can, you know, take it wherever they, they want. I mean, maybe you set it up as a beetroot cart, but if the members want to open a cafe, well, they can open a cafe. Um, and so, it, you know, it, it that's, um, I think that's important uh, to remember. So we, yeah, I mean, very much co-ops, they have to recognise that that level of, uh, of democracy in their, in their structure. So that relationship between the board and members is, is, is very important. You know, it's not like board and shareholders where they're, they're just invested, they're after a short-term or long-term return, they're, they're not, you know, they're off in the distance. Um, these are the, you know, the board member relationship is is very important. It can make conflicts of interest more challenging in a co-op because you might be sitting on the board, but you're making decisions, you know, about members who, you know, uh, you have more of a connection with than shareholders. But, um, yeah, no, I... Um, yeah, I've seen it does depend on the on the on the context and the and every co-op has its culture and um, its you know its reason for forming and its foundation. Yeah, I just look to those, I guess, to shape the right structure. Thanks. You're on mute, Richard. Sorry, I can see those lips moving.
Um, yeah, yeah, so I had a question. I saw that you've got a uh, – oh, sorry, Richard, did you want to go? Yeah, I was just uh, uh, reflecting on that while uh, Sam and, and, and Lizzie were talking there. Uh, you know, in, uh, in the cooperative structure, clearly uh, there's a legislated structure relating to the principles and so forth and around ethics and so forth. If you look at the, uh, the most successful cooperatives, uh, no matter what size they are, uh, they are really uh, sticking to those principles around democracy and about community engagement, about education and so forth. While even distributing cooperatives may not be social enterprises, but they certainly have a social value and they recognise that the community and the engagement in the community is a very important part of their success going forward into the next generations and so forth. So uh, they bring along that that, uh, that concept of actually engagement. They bring along that concept of actually fair go and also at the same time embracing those that may actually need some support. Uh, so I, I think that if, you, if you're forming a cooperative and you actually form it on the principles and you, you've got a feel for uh, where you want to go and you want to have that social uh, a social value and, uh, and, of course, all of that democracy built into that, uh, then the model is actually quite flexible. And, uh, and as Sam said, it, it can actually be tailored to, uh, to what you need. And, uh, and many different organisations or cooperatives have got totally different member structures but from the point of view of people and their philosophies and what they're actually all about. But that's catered for in the co-op. And, uh, and I, I know, uh, you know, in, in the co-ops that I've uh, belonged to over many years, uh, you have all sorts of people running the cooperative, all sorts of people actually, because don't forget, everyone has a vote, equal vote. And so uh, a co-op can change, but it needs to actually be changed properly. Uh, it needs to actually be changed by the majority and actually move through uh, and, uh, and, and, and change the rules if need be. But it needs to actually be uh, there for, for the people that set it up and actually for those that follow. There, just one quick thing I'd add. The number one reason the co-ops fall over or close is that member communication and education piece. And when you lose, um, you lose touch with your members or they um, no longer um, know why they're members or what benefits they're getting, that's when a co-op will fall over. So um, that's a really important, uh, yeah, I think it's an important point in this discussion mm. as well. Um, sorry, but Scotty was after. Oh yeah, so I noticed on the website that you have a uh, you have a twenty four seven co-op emergency hotline. <laughs> what sort of things do you get when they call you at three in the morning? <laughs> That's a, I know that was Molly's idea in recent times. I, I mean, it has operated like that, but she's now stressed it. Um, oh, I mean, I did. I was about to start a soccer match in my over. 35 soccer team, 45, so I can't remember. But um, one Saturday afternoon and a co-op manager phoned me just like I was, you know, I was in the in my boots on the pitch and um, and she said, um, oh, what do I do? You know, one of the directors just punched a member on the wharf. You know, this is a fishing co-op. 
And <laughs> what do I do? And, what, what, and I, um, yeah, anyway, well, you know, it, they, they sort of, they patched it up by Monday, but, um, and no charges were laid. But, uh, you know, I just gave her reassurance that, uh, well, you know, that is assault and that's a criminal matter. And, uh, yeah, the co-op, um, you know, it happened on the co-op's uh, property and um, it's between co-ops. So the co-op uh, might play a role, but I think you first better talk to the police. Um, so, yeah, no, I do get things like that. Um, but... Uh, yeah, no, I haven't had a call in the middle of the night recently. I have to uh, have to admit, but we have had co-ops. Um, you know, the pandemic has been, you know, for everybody, it's been, you know, uh, no one's been unaffected. But we have co-ops that are absolutely thriving in the pandemic, and we have co-ops that are, you know, totally devastated in the pandemic. So. Um, uh there has been some crises i mean we have a we have a bookmakers cooperative who you know run the bets on at the at the horse racing and um you know horse racing was shut down so they just have, they've just gone you know to zero um we've had yeah we've got clubs in the center of sydney that are cooperatives you know they've halved their income no one's going into the city so um they're sort of on their last legs there's all sorts of those sort of emergencies, but the no, the first one that comes to mind, Scotty, is the 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 director of the fishing co-op punching another fishing fisherman on the wharf, and uh, what <laughs> what do I do? Uh, anyway, I I think I'll try and think of some more. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Push him off the wharf, of course. Obviously, <laughs> there was another fishing car, but had, they had a punch up on a boat. Two two members on one boat as well. They, I mean, I'm not trying to disparage fishing cars, but they have had yeah, <laughs> a couple of punch ups. But both of them, yeah, they they made up eventually. So, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, it, I mean, there are. Um, Look, there's not, look, regulation of um, cooperatives in Australia is very weak. Um, so, you know, we're still state and territory regulated, um, but the there's not a government, not a state or territory government that invests much money in, in us. So, and co-ops have this principle of self-help, self-responsibility, um, so, and I think the governments take it to heart and they say, I'll oh, just go and manage yourselves. So there isn't a lot of um, sort of emergency, um, you know, regulatory interventions or anything like that. Where So I don't get rung up by people saying, oh, you know, if, um, Access Canberra's just knocked on the door and they're raiding the books or something. That's just, you know, that just doesn't really happen much. So they very much want to leave us alone and, that's good sometimes you can get things done but it's also sometimes you need a regulator as well so it's a two-edged sword please to a yeah, an interesting question legal history of co-ops in your experience they're generally good bad and different or oh what what exactly do you mean of the legal history sorry uh they all tend to be run well run legally responsibly they're all kosher mm. okay um <laughs> Um, I would say, oh, there's quite a, because of that, I mean, there isn't, you know, high level regulatory control. I think a lot of co-ops do, um, you know, do their own thing. Um, 
And it's really only driven by member or community complaint um, that, uh, um, you know, if there's any sort of regulatory in involvement. Um, uh, oh, look, there's been, look, I, I would argue that um, compared to corporate fraud and outrage over the over the decades that there'd be much more of that percentage wise than in co-ops um i think you know the the culture and the reason that people go into co-ops means that there's great people in there and so i um uh, you know i'd argue that overall i think we'd be better run than than other parts of the economy but that doesn't mean we're we're immune from you know, poor management or scandals or fraud. And, um, uh, you know, there's, uh, yeah, there are, you know, or Murray Goldman, if you're in the agricultural space, is a bit of a well-known cooperative disaster in Australia. Mm. Um, the cooperative bookstore is not a great tale when you look under that um, cooperative, which was around Australia and um, certainly had its problems internally. Um, I mean, the regulator actually let them down in some ways, let them do things that they shouldn't have been allowed to do. But, um, uh, yeah, and the lack of accounting and professional, you know, legal support is, a, um, you know, is not, doesn't help. But, um, uh, no, there's a whole lot of great purring co-ops that have been going for decades and are going to keep going for decades and run very well. But I... Again, I'd argue, yeah, any, I also say in our governance training that, you know, it doesn't make any co-op's got to be just as well run as any business. And, you know, there's no, um, any organisation needs to be well run, needs to follow the law, needs to, uh, and that, you know, you can, doesn't matter what structure it is, if it's poorly run, it's going to fall out. Yes, I was thinking it doesn't attract mafia types there. Basically, honest people. <laughs> well, there's a few co I do know some cops that are sort of um, captured, if you like, dominated by a few or families or something like that. There are a few of those around, but um, plenty of bit, plenty of uh, other businesses like that too. Hmm. Sure. Hmm. Football clubs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Walter, Walter, you uh, Walter, you made a comment about the mafia. Um, I. Uh, uh, we belong to the Cooperative Research Group for Sydney University, and uh, and of course uh, one of my uh, uh, jobs uh, was to write some history on, uh, on co-ops in Australia, particularly the uh, producer cooperatives. And I part of that was to compare uh, co-ops in Australia with the Italian cooperatives. And so uh, I spent a little bit of time uh, with uh, Professor Greg Patmore and others. Uh, in uh, Trento, in in Italy, and so one of the uh, one of the comments was made by one of the uh, Italian professors was that uh, that uh, co-op uh, co-ops do very well uh, from from the proceeds of crime, and I said, oh, how would they do very well? Uh, you know, surely they are not crime syndicate co-ops. And uh, he said, no, he said, uh, what, uh, because Italy is, uh, from what we were telling him uh, about Australia and, and, uh, and of course, the uh, legislation and the support from, uh, from government uh, and self-help and so forth in Australia, he said, no, he said, the, the funds that are collected from the mafia somehow end up being in cooperatives because there is generally not, uh, not a social security system 
uh, like you have in Australia. And, of course, uh, it's distributed, redistributed uh, back into the cooperative movement. So, uh, or part of it is redistributed back in the cooperative movement. So, so actually, uh, there, there can be some gains uh, from, uh, from being cooperatives as well. And some of that can actually come from strange, strange sources. Uh, but if you're looking at Italy and, uh, and Australia, and I've studied to do with, uh, with how cooperatives sit in Australia and how they sit uh, in Italy, totally different uh, uh, sizes of cooperatives. Uh, the Italian uh, producer cooperatives are very, very big. But we do have some very strong cooperatives like uh, CBH and so forth that are actually big cooperatives in Australia as well. So even though uh, we were uh, dwarfed by, uh, by the comparisons, uh, we still actually held our own relating to uh, the, uh, the management of our cooperatives and, for that matter, how cooperatives uh, were seen uh, by members in the community. Uh, all of those things... Cooperatives, and certainly uh, uh, Sam has indicated to do with rural Australia, how, how uh, there are very strong cooperatives uh, over many, many uh, years, even centuries uh, or centuries. Uh, we're seeing that uh, they're trusted. And, uh, and so, uh, uh, and I know in my own areas, uh, even our First Nation people uh, are actually very strong cooperators. Uh, because uh, they uh, they really believe in that community thing, and uh, and I was making a, a little sweet speech in Sydney at Trenby one time. Uh, Trenby is an Aboriginal cooperative, and I made a comment about oh, you know, cooperatives uh, in the UK and cooperatives in Australia and all of this. And I wasn't big noting, but I was actually making comments as I I thought I knew. And uh, one of the a professor, uh, an Aboriginal professor, said to me. He said, uh, do you, to be honest with you, do you mind if I tell you a little story? And I said, uh, go, please go for it. He said, Aboriginal people, First Nation people have been in cooperatives for 60,000 years, so you guys have got a long way to go. So he, uh, he felt that the, there was, we were learning about actually cooperating, about actually being part of, but at the same time, obviously the people before us uh, and our First Nation people were cooperating a long time ever before we ever thought of actually creating a cooperative. Okay, so so it, it's it's really it's important to actually recognise that uh, sometimes you don't have to have a cooperative strong lease. Uh, over generations have been doing that, and of course our First Nation people have been doing that over generations as well. Yeah, learn from them. Perhaps that is that a. I I'm, don't want to keep everyone all night, Scotty, and I don't want to outstay our welcome. Is that maybe that's a good uh, point to to finish? Sure. Yep. Yep. If if you're keen to wind up now, that's fine. We oh, can I'm, go for another. Can go for another twenty minutes, but we normally wind up around eight thirty ish because everyone starts going to sleep. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting that you mentioned that, Richard, because uh, there's a mob called Food Connect up in Brisbane. Who, I don't think they're a co-op, but they've had, they did a crowdfunding thing recently uh, to buy their own warehouse. And two of the local Aboriginal elders, or I think, or maybe more, um, have now 
invested in it and joined the board and they're learning an amazing amount through that. So they're definitely one to keep your eye on in that space. Um, yeah, all right. Uh, well, uh, thank you heaps to Sam Byrne and Richard O'Leary for uh, coming along and um, and sharing your knowledge and your stories and your experience. Our pleasure. My pleasure too. No worries. Anything you want to add before we leave? No, I only don't hesitate to to get in touch. Um, fed.coop is our website fed.coop so you can always you can find my contact details there <clears throat> um and yeah we're, we're always happy to to talk co-ops and help people to uh get on get into the get into cooperative enterprise and and scotty uh uh scotty uh sam actually he is uh, he's actually part of because he's created that hotline he's part of that hotline the chair has normal hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the chair isn't paid much. Let's say that too. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, and uh, you've been listening to a, a new economy network of Australia and Canberra combined meetup, and. Uh, yeah, we're signing off. Thank you all very much for coming and uh, hopefully we'll see you again next month on the last Monday. Thanks, Thank Kate. you. Good night, all. You have been listening to an episode of A Line in the Sound, the podcast made by Co-ops, Commons and Communities Canberra, Co-Canberra for short, the New Economy Network of Australia, or NINA, and Radio Behind the Lines from Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Co-Canberra is working towards a cooperative Commonwealth. Our work builds strong communities, extensive commons and a network of climate cooperatives. The New Economy Network of Australia is a network of individuals and organisations working to transform Australia's economic system so that achieving ecological health and social justice are the foundational principles and the primary objectives of the economic system. Behind the Lines has been running for well over 30 years on Canberra's oldest community radio station, 2XX. We do extended interviews with anyone who's trying to make the world a better place. All three are volunteer-run, so if you like what you heard on this episode, join us and become the media. To join up with the New Economy Network of Australia, sign up at neweconomy.org.au. To help out with Behind the Lines, or to help our editing team finish off a mountain of good Australian New Economy info, which includes editing training, contact us at behindthelines98.3 at gmail.com and see 2XXFM.org.au where you can subscribe, donate and volunteer to Australia's only alternative voice, Community Radio. If you're not in Canberra, there's definitely one near you. To help out with CoCanberra, contact us at info at cocanberra.org.au That's C-O-C-A-N-B-E-R-R-A.org.au or come along to our monthly meetups, which we share with Nina Canberra Regional Hub, where we explore any and all aspects of the new economy. Find out what we're up to at cocanberra.org.au. And finally, if you want to help fund me, Scotty, to go full-time with this and lots of other related work, look up LiberaPay, L-I-B-E-R-A-P-A-Y, and search for Community Supported Scotty. From there, you can find out about all my other projects and donate to help create a new appropriate economy. Thanks.